Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor over at NinerNoise.com, and here with me once again to celebrate numbers, win number seven in a row for the San Francisco 49ers, Mr. Akshaz Devadula. Akshaz, man, how are we feeling about this one? You know, I there will never be a moment in my life, I don't think, where the Niners will win in Seattle and I won't be overjoyed. So, <laughs> win in Seattle, clinch the division, basically ruined the Seahawks' playoffs hopes. That's that's about as good a Thursday night can get for me. I don't know about yep. you. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm with you all all there. I, I wonder if you know the 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 running joke is that we have to tell Tevin Coleman that every game that he plays is against the Carolina Panthers. Maybe every time we go to Seattle, we should just be like, "Hey guys, this is for the division. Mm-hmm. The, if you win this, you win the division." They're like, "But it's week three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You win the division. All good. Maybe that maybe that's the <laughs> that's the secret sauce. Um, and and those white throwback unis seem to be the mick in the mix there too so which i'm fine with like that i'm i'm all game for that so and any and it, whatever works i guess yeah you know it's it's weird that they play well in seattle only when like you know chips are on the table it's time to really drive it in seattle's just been a weird place for the 49ers since pete carroll's been there i don't know Every single year, it's like something of note happens up there, which, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of is what it is in a way. Yeah. I, I don't know. Weird, weird, <laughs> weird vibes up yeah, there. I, I, I agree. Um, And it this and this this game was particularly weird. And I don't know if it was like the Thursday night energy um there were certainly more 49er fans in the building than I feel like I've seen in a, a game in Seattle maybe ever. Um, and so I wonder again, if that had anything to do with the fact that, you know, it's Thursday night on the West coast. Um, you know, the Thursday night game starts at like five o'clock in, in, at night. Right. And so it's still like, you're lucky if you can get out of, out of work in time to, to get to the game. Right. So maybe there's a slightly higher uh, influx of, 49er fans be able to get into the building than they might normally be. I don't, I don't know, but it was certainly one of those things. I, I think I even, this is like the worst podcasting trope of all time, but during the game, I tweeted um, <laughs> that, uh, that it didn't sound very loud to me. Like normally you can like hear this, the, the, the sound even, even through the television, but it, it felt like it felt like it took a little bit of time for for the Seattle fans to kind of get into it. There was even a couple of a couple of drives where the the Seahawks were on offense, and you could hear the the defense chants from the 49er fans, which is pretty rare uh, in that building. That's so that's usually pretty good about keeping the opposition out. Um, so I mean, obviously they picked up uh, the uh, decibel level as the game went on, and as it especially towards the end when it was started to get. A little bit uh, <laughs> closer than uh, than I, for comfort than I would have preferred, but uh, there we go. Um, so obviously, Niners win uh, 21-13. It's their fifth win in the NFC West so far this season. Then we'll have the chance to complete the clean sweep of the division in the final game of the season against uh, good old Colt McCoy again in the Arizona. <laughs> excuse me, the Arizona Cardinals. Um, but, uh, I, I, I really, I really want to say right off the, right off the bat that my prediction was pretty, pretty close. Um, I said 23 to nine and the Niners won 21, 13. So, you know, if you flip the, the four extra points that the, the Seahawks got and the two extra points that the Niners didn't get, and I was, was, was in the neighborhood. I think I got the spirit of, of the, the distance <laughs> between the two, uh, teams. Um, and of course, most importantly, uh, the win, as we noted, uh, it con- clinches the NFC West for the 49ers, 
which means uh, if I'm not mistaken, the the lowest seed that they can get um, in the playoffs uh, is either a three or four seed as they uh, will. Um, and they'll get at least one home game. So that's that's good in the playoffs. They're in uh, the first team to clinch a division in the entire NFL. Um, so there you go. What a, who would who would have seen that coming uh, like three weeks ago? Just to double check, the lowest seed they can get is actually the three seed. Oh, the three. Yeah, I was thinking it was the four. I was thinking it was the three, but then I was like, well, could they get the four? But I guess there's there's enough space between them and the NFC South champion that there will be no way that that team can catch them, right? <laughs> because yeah, exactly. The highest like record an NFC South team could get would be the Buccaneers at ten and seven. So right. the Niners would get that because of the initial <laughs> tie breaks. The Niners are also a half game back of the Vikings. And mm. if the Vikings lose this week, they would be in the two seed right now and yep. basically have complete control over that. And I mean, it was just, it's one of those games that it was a weird one. Seattle is always a weird one, but of I agree course. with you. The energy was weird in the stadium. I thought, I think, on the second drive the Seahawks had, I heard noise when the Seahawks were driving. And I was mm-hmm. like, wait, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> so, you know, shout out to the faithful. They really do show up and show out. And just in general, I think it was one of those games where I was telling this to the people I was watching it with. You need to, like, get your points as soon as you can because something crazy is going to happen in the second half because it always does. Yep. And you don't want it to be one of those, like, things we talk about, the 49ers. Oh, you know, they're the better team, but they just couldn't, like, close it when they had a chance, and then everything kind of fell apart. Basically, the Bears game, right? Yeah, right. And, you know, they got kind of close to making it a real scare. I don't know what would have happened if they didn't get that first down with Brock Purdy. My gut is that they would have held up somehow but it was a it was a concerning one and Mm -hmm. it's one it's one of those ones where it's just like thursday night big big game brock purdy has an oblique injury you're in seattle everything's kind of like online for a really iffy weird game so you just want to win and then you can like monday morning quarter or i guess friday morning quarterback (laughs) all you want out of it afterwards but it's not really one I think the Niners will be like, okay, this is like so obviously the blueprint. It's more like you got to win how you can win. And mm-hmm. they won a game that I think they were in complete control in, even when it's third and one and Purdy has to basically make a play to like seal it. It was never a game where I was like, okay, this is like a real one. Like, this could actually be up for grabs. And that's a testament to this team. Even when the score is close, they're just in complete control. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I think I said, I mean, I was <laughs> I was watching it uh, mostly by myself. My wife was technically there next to me, but she was asleep. Um, so I, I think I said out loud to myself uh, when George Kittle scored that second touchdown, I was like, it's over. Like, that's it. Like, they're they're not they're not coming back from this like they had three points. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wasn't or six points or whatever it was at that point. I, I was not at all concerned that the Seahawks were suddenly going to catch fire offensively and, and get to 20 two points or 23 points or whatever it was going to take to win that game. Um, I just, I just wasn't worried about it. Like, um, you know, even when they scored at the end, you know, you're a little concerned, but I, I still think you feel pretty good about, I, again, I, I, like you said, I'm not sure what Shanahan does um, in that particular situation. If Purdy doesn't get that first down, I, my guess is you probably have to punt the ball there, right? Cause it's too close uh, to the to the Seahawks in zone to to let them have it there and so you try to put them as deep into their own territory as as you can and trust your defense which is something that he's done a lot this year and I would have felt pretty good about that about that situation um, but it didn't come down to it and so that's okay um, and there this was certainly a, a game that you you would like to have won by more and I uh, would make the argument that it is a game that they 
technically should have won by more, but we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Um, but it's a win. A win is a win. And because it's a division game and things get weird, especially against the Seahawks, you're just glad that things didn't go sideways in some way, like some stupid fake punt that turns the game around um, like they had last year. Um, <laughs> for, you know, in a, a game that they otherwise dominated, they end up losing on some stupid thing like that. So, um, you know, you take it and um, and, you, and you move off, move forward. Um, and on top of everything else, they come out of it relatively unscathed, which is pretty incredible considering they played late um, Sunday afternoon and then they had to play this Thursday night game. So it's a short week and they didn't really practice. And um, apparently the the uh, the word was that Brock Purdy did not actually throw a football until like Thursday morning or something like that. Thursday afternoon, they were doing like walkthroughs in the ballroom of the hotel as they are uh, prone to do. And they go on these these trips in these particular situations. And so it was like, is he going to go? Is he going to go? Nobody knows. And then he was fine. Um, but, you know, by and large, they came out of it pretty, pretty unscathed, which is good news. A um, couple of minor injuries um, uh, from Shanahan this week. Um, uh, Ambry Thomas day to day with an ankle. Uh, Danny Gray day to day with a hamstring and Charvarius Ward in the concussion protocol. Um, very interesting situation with Ward. Um, came out of the game. They were He was in the blue tent for a, a pretty long while, although I was kind of laughing because it took the broadcast crew like almost a whole quarter to realize he wasn't out there. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they were looking for. Uh, all of a sudden, they were like, oh, Janoris Jenkins is out in the game. It's like, dude, he's been out there for like the last three snaps, but whatever. Um, anyway, so they, um, yeah, so... He's uh, it, it was kind of weird. Like they, the team announced that he cleared concussion. Shanahan said they decided not to let him go back in just for to be safety, to be safe. And then Shanahan announced today in his postgame press conference that he is back in the concussion protocol. I think that tends to happen from time to time. The good news is they have a you know a relatively long time. They have over a week until their next game. So that's that's nice. Um, and that space should also be good for Brock Purdy, who didn't come out any worse for the wear but certainly was uh, pain managing uh, this game. And so the oblique and the the ribs are just all about time to rest. And so this next couple of days will be really good for that. So looks like everybody's good to go. Um, and then the last bit of news as it relates to injuries is just uh, Javon Kinlaw expected to have his practice window open on Monday. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be coming back. Um, and of course, it's, it is something to watch to see how well he can sort of handle the ramp up over the next couple of weeks. But uh, do keep in mind, of course, that the team only has two IR returns left. So Kinlog is definitely a candidate for one of those, but you have to watch out for Elijah Mitchell as well as a possible sort of late add to the roster heading into the playoffs. So, you know, relatively unscathed, like I said, which is which is good news. Yeah. Um, on the Traverius word point, I think we should give, or just like give some props to the 49ers for, being cognizant of the fact that just because you clear the protocols doesn't mean you're 100% there. And Shanahan for recognizing that Ward may have still been exhibiting some symptoms, wasn't 100%, and basically kept him out of harm's way. Yeah. You know, football is one of those things where you get so caught up into it. I don't think anyone would be particularly surprised if staring at a division rival hoping to clinch the division, a head coach, throws his star cornerback back out there. But, you know, this the 49ers have had this happen a little bit where players have cleared the protocol and then come back the next day and start exhibiting symptoms. So right. just good on the Niners. I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about how the NFL handles concussions this year with what was going on with Tua and, and other players. So when a team does it right, it's, it's a good thing to, like, I think, really point it out. But just in general, I think, you know, they survived this game, which <laughs> is a huge deal yeah. because, like, like we are talking about a little bit before, the Niners are in the have one home playoff game wrapped up. And most either they'll play, like, Dallas for a second one, or they'll play, like, Minnesota. Like, reasonably speaking, I think 
they'll be at Minnesota or they'll host Dallas. And I think those are really the only two options for the divisional round. And then they'd go to Philly or whatnot. But there's just a lot of sheer, like, I'm kind of stumbling around the words I want to use because <laughs> it's it's so important that they were able to, like, get out of this unscathed because it allows the 49ers to kind of, like, map out the rest of the season however they want it to be. Right. What I mean by that is that now they're in a position where they're obviously going to try to get the, sec- the two seed because that guarantees two home playoff games. It means that you don't play Philly until the final, until the NFC Championship game. It most likely means that you won't play Dallas until potentially the NFC Championship game. It gives you so much more control over like the whole playoff bracket. And to that extent, I think they can be aggressive, but they can also rest up some guys, kind of take it easy. But the last thing you want is to clinch the division and just have someone who's so hurt, you know, the entire season gets derailed again. Right. And we've seen that happen far too often. So it's just one of those things. Everything is, I guess the the real moral of the story from Thursday is that everything is just better <laughs> for the 49ers. Yeah. Everything is better since they won that game the way they right. did. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this in the, the preview episode. It's just like... It, if they lose to Seattle, it's not the end of the world. They can still clinch the the division later on, but it certainly puts them in a much better position, as you say, right? Because they know they're in the playoffs. They know they they're not going to finish any lower than the third seed. Um, so they know they're going to get a, a home playoff game in the divisional rounds or the wild card rounds. Um, all good, right? Like that's all good. So it allows you to get you know you you loosen up a little bit, right? For these last three games, like you don't. They matter, but also maybe they don't, right? So if you don't get the two seed, eh, not the end of the world, right? You're in, you're in the in the in the dance, and that's really the thing that that matters the most. You certainly would like to have the highest seed possible. You'd certainly like to have the best opportunity to say if Philly stumbles in uh, the divisional rounds, and then you get the opportunity to to host the NFC Championship game, which is less likely if you're the three seed than if you're the two seed. Um, so all good things there, but also, as you say, it gives you an opportunity to say, uh, to kind of play it by, by ears, you kind of move through the weeks and, you know, if something happens where, I don't know, maybe you lose to the commanders on Christmas Eve and then you're like, okay, well, Minnesota's already won, won their game in, in 15 and then they win in week 16. You're like, okay, well, what's the likelihood that they're going to lose one of their other two games and we got to win out you can start playing those scenarios in your mind but at least you know like we're in like we don't have to worry about that and that's that's a nice place to be to to have you know here in the middle of december and just go okay we're good like we're not leaving this to the last minute and i think that's that's really important yep i mean it's just it's such a weird place for the 49ers to be. <laughs> no kidding. It's, but since 2019 was probably the last time it was like, okay, like we know what's up. But last year, down to the wire, the year before that, playoffs, were, like playoff hopes also were down to the wire. I mean, I don't think anyone really expected Nick Mullins to take him to the playoffs, but right. there was a chance. Yeah. It's just for a team that's like nicked up everywhere and – now, you know, who knows if Debo Samuel comes back in the three weeks when there are four weeks left in the season or whatnot. Maybe you take it a little slower with him. Let him rest up for just the playoffs. Yeah. Things like that. There's just so much more flexibility. It's it's a great spot to be in. For sure. Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's dive a little deeper as we do into the uh, this win over over the Seahawks and we'll uh, as, as always talk about things that we liked and things that we didn't so much like uh, <laughs> again, I don't know this one might be a little bit more, a little bit uh, difficult to come up with something terribly negative, but we'll see how that goes. Um, so actually, as I'll start with you, sir, uh, something you liked, uh, what was your, uh, your up for this game? So there's so many things to choose because there are always so many things to choose, but I'm going to say, because in our preview episode, and by the way, 
for if you're listening to our podcast for the first time, thank you for joining us. But we reference our previous episodes a lot, which is why you should keep on watching everyone as they come out. I talked a lot about how the Seahawks passing offense was the real concern here. If there was a way the Niners lose this game, it would be because Seattle caught a spark there. So holding Geno Smith for 238 yards on 44 attempts, three sacks, a ton of pressures, a ton of QB hits, a pick six that got called back off a horrendous roughing the passer call. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it took it took everything going in the Seahawks' favor on offense for their offense to muster one touchdown. It was, I mean, it was the type of dominance just cohesively that the 49ers need. The defensive line, dominant, beyond dominant. The linebackers, also beyond dominant. Drake Greenlaw is the owner of the Seattle Seahawks now. I don't think we can say anything else. A forced fumble, flying to the ball, almost an interception. The secondary like took up the challenge and held it considerably well, especially when you consider the fact that Mooney Ward ended up going out for that fourth quarter. I mean, this was one of those games where in Seattle, you kind of know the offense might not get it going as well as they did. Brock Purdy was hurt. You need the defense to step up and holding the Seahawks offense to this inefficiency, this dink and dunk, and then tackling, making sure they don't get extra yards. The one breakdown aside, which we can talk about later as like an issue they might need to correct, this is, this is championship-level stuff. And we talk about it all the time because they're just that good of a defense. This is like historically good. This is the type of defense that if the 49ers go all the way and win a Super Bowl, people will look back on this defense in the same way they look back at like, the Ravens defense or the Bears or the Legion of Boom because it's been otherworldly. So I thought that was a huge deal. I thought that was the reason they were able to win the game. And it was just fun to see a defense just suffocate an offense so thoroughly while playing away. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really well said. Uh, so uh, for those of you keeping score at home, the uh, Seattle Seahawks are averaging six. Their offense, I should say, is averaging averaged 6.5 points per game against the 49ers this year. Um, and that's only because their offense didn't score the, the points that they scored in week number two. Uh, that was a special teams touchdown. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, if you could hold all of your opponents to 6.5 points per game, uh, I imagine that you would win every single game, um, unless your offense had absolutely no hope at all. But I, but I think every offense could score at least a touchdown a game um, if your defense was holding into six and a half points. So <laughs> that would be pretty good. Um, definitely agree with you on pretty on, on everything that you said. Um, I I wanted to highlight Ward specifically. Um, he was just like it was a real shame that he had to come out of the game because he he was just taking care of DK Metcalf, like in the, uh, like in a way that I have not seen anybody really do. Um, Metcalf's a big, you know, um, kind of imposing figure of a, of a, of a human being, but Ward was right in there on him. I mean, he's a, he's not a, a, a little fella himself. So, um, he, he really got, got into Metcalf's head. There was the, the taunting penalty, uh, that Metcalf got early in the game that, uh, that was just all about the fact that Jarvarius Ward was just just in his face and just wouldn't let him have any uh, separation of any kind. And then there was the the like the easiest offensive pass interference penalty ever called in the history of man. Um, I, I feel like Ward would have probably taken that ball and, and run with it a long way if 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 uh, Metcalf hadn't yanked the back of his jersey. Um, so really, just absolutely masterclass of performance from Jarvarius Ward. I mean, I think Kirk Herbstreit mentioned this on the broadcast. This is why they signed him, right? This is why they brought him in. It was to say, hey, you know that? You see that guy over there? He's their best receiver. Stop him from doing things. Um, and they they haven't done him, done that with him all year long, but we've done it in some notable places. Obviously, um, it, with uh, DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona. Um, I'm trying to think uh, who else he, he kind of shadowed. 
this season. But it, that's that's what you want out of your number one corner, right, is the ability to do that. And then the fact that Diamador Lenore is able to be successful on the other side of him, which doesn't sort of like cancel out Ward's presence. Because there are defenses that have a number one corner, but then the corner opposite him is not very good, and you can just like pick on him. The, the Niners have actually been in that situation before, right, where they've had a a lockdown corner on one side, and then the, and the so the quarterback just goes, all right, I'll just throw it at the other guy because he's terrible. Um, so <laughs> good there. Um, Dre Greenlaw continues to be super impressive. I mean, the linebackers in general were were impressive. I, I don't know if you got a chance to look at 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 the sort of spray chart for for Geno Smith. He just really avoided the middle of the field altogether. Like all of his passes are either to the right or to the left because he's just like, you know what? I don't want any part of that. Like that is the the danger zone. I am not throwing the ball over there at all. I know exactly how that's going to go. Um, so he just stayed away, and it was really a, a thing of beauty. So um, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but kudos to to John Lynch for locking Dre Greenlaw in before he had this massive season. Um, very interesting foresight there. And then, you know, we're talking a lot about the defense, and and but I think it's it's worth mentioning. Brock Purdy went out there. Basically, you know, not at 100 percent by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, he played well. And I, I think the thing that that I I'm, that I, I want to highlight with him more than anything else is just his poise. Like, he doesn't look like this kid who's never played an NFL snap until a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's making smart decisions. Uh, for the most part, he said he had another one of those game, another one of those throws where you're like, uh, and, you know, that Andre Diggs thankfully dropped. Um, but you got to, you know, something to watch out for. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just he looks the part of a of a solid NFL quarterback. And, um, you know, I said this last week, he's that sort of in between uh, the two other quarterbacks between Garoppolo and, and Lance. He's not as athletic and and strong armed as, as, uh, as, as Lance is, and he's not as experienced and sort of quick with the, with the pass as Garoppolo is, but he's got enough athletic athleticism and enough skill. And he really seems to just know what to do. And that's really the most important thing. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, you know, Purdy was so obviously not a hundred percent. I think it could re- you could really tell on the drive he had on his passes, they were just not there. But I mean, we say this, and you make the point, he just looks the part. He's a 49ers quarterback making his third ever start and one in Seattle. 49ers quarterbacks don't win in Seattle. And especially not the first time. mm -mm. Like, in a certain way, it feels like we have almost started downplaying the absurdity of the Purdy experience because he looks so poised. But he plays at a maturity and consistency equal to that of Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's not necessarily supposed to be a slight at Garoppolo. I'm not really trying to get into this QB debate thing right now, especially right after they've won the division. But for your rookie seventh-round pick to have a command of the offense that is akin to a starter you've had since 2017 is absurd. And he's only getting better. He's only getting more aware of the offense. He made a play. I don't know what the specific play is, but it was on George Kittle's second touchdown. Apparently, Kittle is the fourth read in the progression. It's a double slant, and usually you're supposed to hit one of the slants. But Purdy waits. Tariq Woolen, Seattle's rookie corner, busts the coverage, and he is able to wait it out and find Kittle wide open. That's a play the 49ers just don't hit. And it's one of those things where it looks obvious and it looks easy, and to some extent it is, 
But that's what this offense needs. They just need the quarterback who's able to hit these big plays. It's always built in. The 49ers offense has a shot play built in. This idea that, like, they want to go 3-4-3, just dink and dunk their way down the field is not true. But sometimes your quarterback play demands this kind of thing. But with Purdy, you have this, like, baseline consistency. You have a command of the offense. And then you throw in spectacular plays like his – Passed to Rory McLeod, where he fell down yet somehow avoided the rush. Smart reads, attacking deeper parts of the field. I'm going to paraphrase Shanahan on this, but when asked about choosing to let Purdy like basically decide the game on third and one, he said, my confidence in Purdy allows me to just call the play that's right. Because I, if I know he'll make a good play, then I don't have to worry about it. He also said that Purdy was the most poised he'd ever seen a rookie QB be. Like a rookie, most poised rookie QB he's ever had. This is some lofty praise. And, you know, there's a real concern when Garoppolo went out. It's like the season is over. There's a real, like, ceiling to what can happen. But Brock Purdy is kind of, he's not only shattered the ceiling of the 49ers, I think he shattered the floor, too. Like, if he plays at just his baseline, this team doesn't have to worry about the, oh, my God, everything is falling apart. The defense can't save him now anymore. And that's a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible that we're talking about this, about a kid who who was the last pick in the draft and he's wasn't even expected to make the roster, like, coming into this thing. And he's just he just continues to defy expectations which is super great and you know there will be a lot of time to talk about what the long-term future of this kid is as the quarterback and yada yada i'm sure we'll spend all off season talking about him and trey lance and yada and, uh, and all that stuff right um I, I think the thing that's really important to note is that it really i think the one thing this definitely does like i know there was some some rumblings uh before um before the the dolphins game that, you know, oh, well, Garoppolo and the Niners, maybe they might be, interest, might be interested in making, you know, that thing work again. I, I think that's out the window now, right? Like, it, it's done. Like, they know that they can trust Brock Purdy to be their backup quarterback at this particular juncture. If Even if that's what happens. If they, you know, if they flame out in the playoffs or they lose the rest of their games and the, in the regular season and lose in the first rounds and, and, and they decide, you know, it's Trey Lance's team still, you know, Brock, Brock Purdy, you're here, you're the backup. I think that's something they, they're perfectly comfortable with, right? They don't have to worry about, oh, we're going to go out and sign a veteran to be the backup or anything like that. They're good. Like, this is probably, like, the best-case scenario, um, you know, barring the fact that the injuries had to happen in order for it to take place this way. But the fact that they got to learn about who this Brock Purdy kid is and to see what he's capable of and all this kind of stuff is, is it's great. Like for the long-term future of this team, he and Lance are basically under contract for the same amount of time. Um, it, you know, barring whether or not the, the Niners choose to pick up a, a fifth year option on, on, on Trey, but they have two years to figure out what this is going to look like. And so this is just an opportunity to, to see as much a party as they can. And we move on from there. But uh, I think that's just really interesting how, Things have changed. <laughs> and so what that means is we get another offseason of quarterback debate. Hooray. We're just going to switch the the names around a little bit. <laughs> so something to look forward to. It's going to be such a interesting. I think I completely agree with you. Jimmy Garoppolo's time with the 49ers has ended. And yeah, it's officially. It's, done. <laughs> it, I mean, it's just, you know, if Brock Purdy is your QB, too, with what he's shown, you just don't need to insulate yourself anymore. That's not a real thing. I, The QB debates over who's going to start, it really just depends on what happens in the postseason. And, you know, depending on where they end and how the season ends up and how, like, the games kind of end up, I think Purdy, right now, if you, if you, like, I was a betting man and you told me, Ask me, 
who will start for the 2023 49ers? My answer would be Brock Purdy. But who knows? It's certainly going to take up a ton of article space and podcast space. And I guess we'll get to it when we can't talk about the magical season the 49ers are going (laughs) through right now. And I think there's such a weird poetic nature to football sometimes. If we were talking about this after the game, this season is a great reminder of just how the journey matters so much. You know, everyone gets kind of caught up in the who won the Super Bowl. And obviously that's that's what everyone wants. There's only one winner at the end of the season. But there's something beautiful about just like sitting back and looking at and just watching this entire thing unfold. You know, three and four starting quarterback injured, backup who was the starters back in. Everything's scuffling. They get Christian McCaffrey. They get blown out by the Chiefs. And it's like, okay, this is over, right? We don't, there's there's not really a shot anymore. We know what this team is doing. And then they just start winning and winning. Everyone is getting healthy and playing better. And then even as their backup, who was their starter, goes down, and you turn to your third string, Mr. Irrelevant, and it's like nothing stops. The gears keep on moving. I don't know how the season is going to end. None of us do. If we did, then we probably wouldn't be fans in the first place. But there's there's something magical about like what's going on here. Even if they lose, whenever they do, to just like have this much adversity constantly and just keep on going and to have so many unsung heroes step up and just dominate in a way that you couldn't find possible it's one of those things where just like i think people remember fondly the end of 2017 even if we can like relitigate exactly what happened when garoppolo joined the team and talk about his play no one will forget the just energy that competent quarterback play brought the 49ers no one will forget the dominance 2019 had in the nfc championship game No one will forget week 18 against the Rams last year. It's going to be hard for people to forget what exactly this seven game winning streak has meant and how it's like just uplifted this team in such a fascinating way. Also another lot of platitudes (laughs) for a division champ, but Kyle Shanahan isn't going to win coach of the year because that's one of those awards that kind of gets decided by the time you hit the midway point. Well, with the but, exception of the, of the year, of the year that it, he did all the things that he should have, when he should have won it in 2019, because the very narrative that always, always, always follows the coach of the year is when you take a bad team and turn them into a great team. And that was mm-hmm. of course the one year that they went the completely different direction. <laughs> So go figure. Yeah, but he has to be, he is the coach of the year, I think. There's, to have a roster and just a game plan that is so perfectly insulated from so many injuries, there's just, if you're telling me that there's another coach in the NFL who could be on his third string quarterback and win a division, you have to be naming like Andy Reid, and maybe Bill Belichick. And that's it. I'm Hold not up. convinced there's another another head coach that I would be like, okay, yeah, they can do it. This is like, this is absurd stuff. And it's crazy to me that Shanahan is doing this. Meanwhile, in LA, Sean McVay has mm-hmm. Matt Stafford dealing with injuries and like, they just fell apart. So, you know, there's like, it's, it's again, there's three more games in this season and a whole postseason, but some of the stuff the 49ers are doing, it's just, it defies expectation. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, all right. Well, do we, do we have any like downs for this game? Because you, you just said a lot of really nice things about them. Do we have anything that, that we didn't really like about it other than, you know, Nick Bosa slamming? Geno Smith into his own offensive lineman and therefore roughing the passer. I'm just going to say that, but um, that's all I'll say about that. Um, 
it's it's weird. It's hard because Thursday night games are always like kind of rough. So it's hard to like pinpoint something and be like, this was like uniquely terrible and it's a real issue. But I will just say, I thought Brandon Ayuk's play was not the best. This game, he had the pretty critical third down drop that led to Robbie Gold missing a field goal. So that's a small thing. The running efficiency with CMC wasn't the best either, but it wasn't a big issue. The one thing I will say, though, Seattle and their field goal block team has caused real problems for the 49ers this year. And I can't understand why. And it's something that I think they actually do have to address. So in week two, Seattle blocked a field goal. This week, they didn't block a field goal. But I don't know if you, when you watch the game, you could constantly see pressure coming in from the left edge. And I'm not a kicker, but I have the <laughs> sense. I, yes, the Is important that, caveat. In, you know what? Just yeah. in case anyone was a little. Didn't know for sure. I'm not an NFL kicker, but in my totally expert opinion, as not an NFL kicker, I think Robbie Gold's missed field goal was a direct byproduct of constant pressure coming from the Seattle left side on these field goal blocks. It felt like he was trying to angle his kick away from the hands. Yeah, because he hooked it, it to the right, so that makes sense. So I don't know. Maybe he also just missed it, but... That's one of those things where we saw last year in the Green Bay game, special teams can win you a playoff game, and it can lose you a playoff game. So I don't know what it is, if it's just Seattle, if it was they have, like, the right guys to uniquely attack the 49ers special teams. I don't know. But that was a little concerning to me. You don't really want to get into the habit of having, like, field goals become this whole thing because you can't guarantee that they'll actually like be able to get to the pilot, to the host in some way. So really small things. I think I'd be more I'm more so interested in how like Ayuk's play progresses next week cuz he's now the nominal wide receiver one for this team and I think he has the talent to really shine in that role but the game against Seattle wasn't a great showcase of his ability, but field goal unit for sure. That was concerning. And you just don't want to get into, especially because other parts of special teams is really cleared up, especially on returns. You just don't want to get into this kind of situation where one like small aspect of the entire team can derail an entire season. Yeah, I think I think that that makes a lot of sense um, for sure. Um, yeah, that drop by Ayuk was 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 particularly bad because it was certainly one of the better throws from Purdy on the night, and he just put it on his hands, and it's just like, ah, oh, dude, you can't drop it. Initially, I thought maybe the defender had gotten a hand on it or something like that, but no, it was a, they showed the replay, and it's like, oh, that was that was a drop. Um, I, I think generally speaking. And as you said, Thursday night games are just weird. So this kind of it, it makes sense that this is the way that this this worked out is that after that that second touchdown to Kittle, um, the offense just kind of sputtered out. You know, um, didn't really obviously they didn't score any more points. Um, I mean, the drive that they had leading to the field goal miss was moving along pretty well. Um, but you certainly would have liked to see another touchdown in there. And I think they probably would have scored if Ayuk, um, I, I think probably Ayuk might've scored on that, on that catch of heat, if he hauled it in and was able to, to create some separation there. Um, but I think there's a good chance they might've gotten a, t- a touchdown or at least a better, a better chance of kicking the field goal there, um, or making the field goal there. Uh, if, if that, um, and then of course the other thing is and and gosh i really hope that that when they get elijah mitchell back uh either later in the before the right before the playoffs start or in the playoffs that gosh i'm and i know this is like i i don't i don't necessarily buy the whole like mccaffrey is is injury prone he's really had like one season where he missed most of the year and another season where he missed part of the year um it and so 
I, I, I don't I don't buy that fully into the whole like he's he's just an injury waiting to happen. But at the same time, if you cannot use him the way that Carolina did, which was, you know, trying to run him into the ground every season, that would be great. <laughs> so uh, maybe Jordan Mason's the closers, I think, is a really great idea. But if Jordan Mason could be also, a, you know, spell him a little bit more frequently throughout the game. And I get at this particular point without Debo out there, you really need another playmaker um, out on the field. And so it's hard to take McCaffrey out because of all the things that he can do. Well, OK, then just use him as, as like a, a second back. Like, why can't we have Mason and McCaffrey on the field at the same time? And McCaffrey is just a decoy and he, you know, they have to pay attention to him because he's there or, you know, put him out wide as a, as a receiver or something where he's not going to like run between the tackles like 20 times a game. That's just, that's just not going to work. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a good point. The idea that Debo Samuel being out kind of forced this overuse of McCaffrey. I tend to agree with that more just because Shanahan is in some ways, a disciple of the Bill Walsh West Coast tree, where quick passes can take the place of runs. And without Debo, you're losing a lot of those jet sweeps, Debo in the backfield screens, just things to like get the ball quickly into playmakers' hands. I also wish we saw more Mason. There were a couple carries in the first half that went nowhere, and then at the final, like, drive it was all mason which is in in general i remember reading somewhere that the 49ers position coaches are the ones who get to decide which players like are in for a particular play at least that was the case when oh my god i'm completely blanking on his name let me google who are you looking for? <laughs> um, the former running backs coach. Bobby Bobby Turner. Thank you. Yes. When Bobby Turner was the running backs coach, he used to just decide who would get snaps. I don't know if Anthony Lynn has that same privilege. I'd assume he does. So for all you know, there's some factors that Shanahan doesn't entirely control or he's like delegated, but I agree. 32 touches for McCaffrey is a bit much. You kind of, I kind of hope they just chalk it up to we needed it for this win and we'll scale it down. If he has anyone anywhere more than like 25 against the commanders, I think there's, you start to be like, okay, you know, we kind of, we want to make sure that he's healthy and available for us when like the games actually determine if we're going on to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think the case for the fact that they're trying to fill the the Debo void is really there because I think you said he had 32 touches, is that right? Mm-hmm. And what, like 24, 22 of them or something like that were before halftime. Like he he was like, there was a massive, like the, 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 the intentionality of getting him the ball to build the lead was certainly very clear, um, clearly there, so... We'll we'll see. Um, hopefully, uh, as you say, this will be there will be a better a better plan. I don't know. Maybe let the the other rookie have a have touch the ball every once in a while. I'm not sure if he's any good or not, but we'll, you know, couldn't hurt. Like give him a few snaps just to spell somebody. But I, I I get the 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 move there, of course. But with our luck, we'll probably see Tevin Coleman pretty pretty soon. So who knows how that goes? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, Ox, has any uh, final thoughts about this uh, about this game before we uh, wrap things up? Just you know, we got a mini buy and. Enjoy Sunday, stress-free, root for the Colts to beat the Vikings. I'm going to double-check that the Colts are playing the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. Okay, perfect. I said that pretty confidently for not actually knowing. You said it great. Yeah, I bought it. But I also (laughs) knew you were correct, so there was that. (laughs) I think just, you know, 49er fans, especially if you're, like, on social media, there's a lot of just general angst about a team that, is so consistently bad at playing up to its potential that you never know what's going to happen week to week. But this is a week to just celebrate, realize that we could be facing the commanders with 
as the two seed and just like go along for the ride. I think in general, there's this tendency in sports to forget about the contours of a season and only focus on the final game being the Super Bowl. But this is something that I think is really fun to just kind of witness as this team goes through this remarkable winning streak and don't forget to like enjoy that. So it was a t-shirt and hat game for the 49ers on Thursday. They got both those things. They're the first team to clinch their division in the NFC. This is, it's a good time to be a fan. So just enjoy it and see where the road goes. Well said, well said. Um, Yeah. Hey, push the, the, the winning streak. Uh, further on Christmas Eve, but we'll be back uh, soon to talk about that. We're also going to take a, a little bit of a of a break before we lead into that, but we'll be back um, in the middle point of next week to to break down uh, that that look listen to me for that that game uh, over with the uh, Washington Commanders uh, on uh, September or December the twenty fourth. Um, but as always, thank you for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.